0: You're listening to the Redemption City Church podcast. To learn more about Redemption City Church, visit us online at rccbaltimore.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Dan Huin, founding pastor of the Village Church in Baltimore and the SEND Network's City Missionary for Baltimore. Redemption City Church. It is a joy to be with you this morning. I think we're still in the morning, right? Um, you know, I, I love Pastor Adam and obviously Pastor, other Pastor Adam and all of your all of leaders of the church. And, um, you know, I've been, you all doing the hard work, but I've been on the side just kind of cheering you on and helping in whatever way I can to see this church uh, start and, you know, it's, it's crazy and beautiful to see where it's at now and, you know, really what I believe is just the beginning of even more that God will do. And part of the value of the network, said network that we're part of, and, and you guys might not fully see it because you're obviously here in your own church, but like at this very moment, churches that we've started in our city all around is just, they, you would look at them, they're like so different from one another, um, really diverse and uh, ethnicity, cultural background, approach, philosophy centered around the gospel, but really different ways. But I believe one of the beauties of our network is how we're gonna reach a city like Baltimore um, is through different churches like that. So you guys are a very integral part of that. And uh, I'm so I'm honored to be able to share the word with you a little this morning. I uh, had a great time this morning together with the other gatherings. So uh, you know, we're we're looking into some of the end story of Jesus's ministry while he was on earth, and you guys might be aware of this last supper that he had with his closest followers, and just an epic time where he talked through uh, kind of symbolic but also real expressions of his loving sacrifice for them, but part of it was also clarifying his mission, that he made clear to them saying hey guys we're coming to the end of this road on this earthly ministry but y'all need to know this was all part of the plan nothing sneaking up on me but I will die and then I will eventually be raised again and have this destination Um, he talks about in John 13 36 one thing he said was Jesus answered where I'm going you cannot follow me now but you will follow later so Jesus he's foretelling his death and resurrection, and that he is going to prepare a good place that all of his will be together for eternity. Um, but the thing is, that's not providing much comfort to his followers, because they're like, yo, I thought we had a good thing going here. You know, all these miracles and lives being tra- Where are you going? What? Um, they're in distress. And you know, I can understand, I'd probably be in distress if I were with them too, but Jesus, he takes time to comfort them. Look at John chapter 14, verse 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. So he's trying to cl- uh, clarify. The and I, I love just the model of leadership Jesus provides here. That even in the midst of his own personal anguish, because he's God. He knows what's coming. He knows the path is toward this cross, this torture device. Even in the midst of wrestling with that, what's he doing? He's thinking about his beloved. He's thinking about how he can comfort them. So he's trying to explain to them, Yo, this got to happen because I'm going to go prepare a real good place and, and I'm going to show you the way to get there as well. You know it. Um, but they kind of confused. They still don't fully get it. They don't know where he's going, how to get there. And, and we see his reply then in verse 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus saying, I know it's all mysterious, but here's the one thing you need to know to get there is through me. I am that way. I am that truth. I am that life. And for some of y'all, this is a new ordeal, this whole church thing. But for me, I was raised in this from like real little. And one of the funny things about being raised in the church is you do things like memory verses. So I would get like stacks of them. And the funny thing is, this is like one of those verses, verse 6, that's like at the top of any good memory verse list, right? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You get that one imprinted in your memory early on, quick. Um, the thing is, as prominent, as beautiful as it can be, this verse is also really hard for a lot of people. Um, I don't know if we're allowed to talk like this in church, but maybe even for some of you sitting here today, hey, like the implications of this verse feel challenging because we live in a, yo, you do you world, right? You do what works for you, and yo, I respect this whole Jesus thing, and you know, it looks like it's working for you. You mean you're smiling a lot more than you used to. You're not as grump. Praise whatever you praise. That's cool. You do what works for you, but I'm going to do what works for me, and let's just get along together. Cool harmony. Um, and maybe... In a culture like that some of the challenge is this resistance that even maybe some of us here feel towards anything that would feel like it's excluding someone from being part of something with a verse like this and I'll be real you know there's a part of me that really resonates with that sense because even in the midst of this past year of of heightened racial awareness but as an Asian American this uh, growing anti-Asian racism and sentiment. It's been hard, but what it's also peeled back for me, I'm a grown man, but I'm like having memories from when I was like a younger dude, as an Asian American growing up in this country, born and bred, but always with the sense that um, you're not fully part of what's going on. There's always a sense that makes you feel like you don't fully belong. You're not really quote unquote American when you get questions like, so where are you from? Uh, Chicago? No, 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 where are you from? Uh, Philly? No, no, where? Like, the sense that you're not really part, and it's painful. It hurts. And maybe even some of you, you can identify with being excluded from something. The pain of being kept out because of what you are, who you are, what you look like. And and you really, because you love this faith in Jesus so much, you resist the faith that you love being thought of that way as one that would keep anyone out. Because what Jesus seems to be declaring here, I mean, it can seem a little bit harsh. It almost even hurtful. And maybe one word I do want to encourage you with is if you're wrestling with this, I don't think that's altogether the worst thing because perhaps that's the Holy Spirit cultivating a spirit of empathy within you like thinking about those who are around you who would wrestle with these things and you love them and you like it's hard for you to even sleep with the idea that some might not experience the the wonderful truth that you have like you that hurts you because I honestly I think that's better than someone who reads this and like yep some just aren't they're not they're not meant to be I'm like "Yo, dude you need to pray a little bit more because that's I don't know if that's that might theologically sound kind of correct but yo, you missing, like, an uh, aspect of who Jesus is. There should be a part where you wrestle with this a little bit. But also, even if that's true, maybe for some of us, the challenge is how we traditionally understood passages like this. Because if, if understood, I think, incorrectly, it can, we can almost maybe get the idea that there's, like, a border, you know, and that's, that's you know, kind of relevant in our day, right? There's borders, and, like, Jesus is the border patrol, and, you know, he got his border patrol outfit on, and he waiting there, he got his cap on, he waiting for every person that wants to cross through, pass through the border, and he's looking for papers, right? He's looking for credentials. He's looking if they got what it takes to be able to cross that border. He's checking everyone's saying, okay, you good, you good. Nope, no, 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 no. You do not have the proper documentation. You cannot enter this. You got another place you need to go. And maybe that... That's the kind of idea we have, that Jesus is looking for who to keep out. But what I would suggest for you this this morning is, when we think about these things, maybe our focus needs to be more that Jesus is not talking so much about a destination, but he's talking about a relationship. is not so much talking about destination, but a relationship. I won't be, like, crystal clear here before you start typing your hate mail to her, and you don't know my email address, so you're going to send it to your pastor, but... um, I I, get clear here, I'm not saying that relationship does not involve a destination to go to. Because Jesus, he seems to be talking about preparing rooms, talking about an eternal dwelling. He seems to talk about like a literal place. Heaven. But what I am suggesting is we don't want to lose sight of the bigger picture of what he's talking about in the midst of all that. Even as he talks about going somewhere. So, um, this weekend was real cool for our family because we had to, I had a speaking engagement not too far, and uh, I actually had the chance to take my family with me to stay overnight. And you know, um, for some of you, you might know, but my younger daughter actually, part of her journey has involved her leukemia since last year, like right before the pandemic hit. So, pandemic is hard enough, but then we've had that in our family. So, it's been nuts. We have not gone anywhere. So, we just went to Lancaster, PA, which I don't know if that's like the top 10 of any of your vacation destinations, but. But they were so excited. They were like, it was like going to Disney World. They were like, we get to stay somewhere else overnight, really? And they were so happy because we love vacations. And that's one of the things we've been lamenting throughout the whole uh, coronavirus pandemic. Just this not the ability to go somewhere, especially compounded with the illness. And so we love traveling. But here's the thing. If I was explaining to you why I love travel, I mean, I love I mean, I love food, so I love going to different places and checking out the food that the place are famous for. I'm on, I'm on Yelp real quick looking for best barbecue, best pizza, best, best sushi. Like, I want to know what they're the best for. So that's part of it, but that's not why I love going on vacation. It's like to experience those good things and to go somewhere, but it's who I'm going with, my family. Like, that's the joy of going to these places, that I get to be with the people that I love dearly. And in the same sense, what Jesus is pointing to is, we want heaven. We want to go where he's preparing rooms, but it's not just to get there for the sake of being there, but it's because of who we get to be with, which is God himself. We get to be with God. That's why heaven is such a desirable destination. Jesus is pointing not so much to a destination, but to a relationship with the Father. That's what he's talking about. And this might be controversial in some places. I know in your church, I don't think it's controversial here, but this is a relationship that does not just start when you die and enter glory. Like, all that we're doing right now, this is just kind of all a big, like, purgatory waste kind of muddled through so that we can really start this abundant, eternal life. Like, when we die, like, that's when life really starts. I'm like, ah, I don't know. Because in John 10:10, Jesus himself talks about things like I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. He doesn't seem to say that that abundance, in one sense, it does fully start or fully get lived out when we're in glory, without the wrestling with sin, without all of the pain that this world can have. But that abundant life, we also get a taste of it now. We also get to step into some of that now as shaded as it might be in ways, as tear laden as sometimes it might be. We also get to live in some of that abundance now. And this abundant life that's found in a relation with the Father, it's promised for eternity, but it's also beginning now, today, right where you're sitting here. And I want to look at just a couple of brief examples of what abundant life with the Father looks like from this chapter in chapter 14. So look at verse 12. Jesus says, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So again, Jesus is preparing his disciples. This is like master class, right? He's preparing his disciples for when he's going to be going on the next step of his journey and preparing them for the works that they're going to continue. And what he wants to assure to them is, is not that, oh, okay, well, our, our, our rabbi, our messiah, Jesus, leaving. I guess this whole thing's done. I best, I better start putting out my resume for a new deal. Look for a new messiah. It must be all kabut. Jesus, no, 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 no. I want you to be really clear. Yeah, I'm leaving Y'all are going to do even greater things than what you've seen done with me over these past three years. I mean, it was epic. It was wonderful. All like that healings and preachings and revival meetings and, 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 and like multiplying bread and fish, you know, all that epic. It was amazing. Y'all going to see even greater things than what we did. And I want to be, um, I want to explain a little bit because I don't think it's necessary to talk about the nature of the work in terms of what's greater, because that, that might almost sound like a little heretical. Some of you, if I said this without reading from the scriptures, you might think, what kind of malarkey is this pastor bringing? This crazy person talking about greater things than Jesus. What's he not Jesus? No one's going to do greater things than Jesus. Well, I'm just reading from the Bible, right? And so, but some of you might, I, I, the reason I'm doing it, I don't want to get hate mail from you afterwards, because you're going to be like going home after this, and like, the preacher said that. If we pray in Jesus' name, whatever we ask, we will do even greater things than Jesus. So, man, for Mother's Day, I got some sushi rolls, but I day I didn't get enough. So, in Jesus' name, I'm praying that this one California roll multiplies into like ten. Jesus, we need. A, and then you look at you still just got one California roll. Like, didn't Jesus multiply it all? I, I want to be clear that you probably won't do some of the things that Jesus did. You're probably not going to be raising a Lazarus from the dead. he's talking about, I think, more scope of impact. Because the reality is, as amazing as what Jesus did, and it was epic, I would have loved to be there, it was contained within a relatively small geographic region among a particular ethnicity of people primarily. That's what the scope of Jesus' ministry was. But what his disciples would be doing, led by the power of the Spirit, they would take this message beyond the borders that have always been known to ways that the original Hebrew people would be like, What? Who's going to hear? Where are churches going to get started? You mean this is going to be like made of people of all ethnicities? Seriously? And they would be the ones to take that. They would be the ones, in some sense, to do even greater things. Again, not the nature of it, but the scope of what they would do. And the simple idea of what a relationship with the Father means is that the Father gives meaning to our work. Just like with these disciples, the Father, a relationship with the Father, it gives meaning to our work. And everything that we do to further God's fame and his glory has meaning. And, and just as Jesus was all about his Father's glory, because of a relationship with God, our motivation can now be like Christ's as well that we exist to glorify God with what we do. And that if it's our desire and prayer, because we want to be clear, because we can read a verse like this and say, well, the word says whatever you want, as long as you just attach Jesus' name to it, it got to happen, right? And you know, you've even heard like whack theology like that. You know, just just name it, claim it, as long as you want it enough, God will give it. You just got to put his name on that, John. And That's not what he's saying. He's like, but if you do it for God's glory and fame, If that's your motivation, ask what you wish. Dream big, because God will answer those prayers in Christ. It might not look exactly the way you think it would, but he will definitely work in that. If you, like Christ, are all about the Father's glory. But I want to qualify that a bit, because sometimes you hear things like this, and you're like, yeah, you know. Jesus, he's blessing those crazy missionaries who are going to go around the world and give up everything, give up their six-figure job and lay it all down so that they can go tell the world about And, you know, if God's calling you do that, I am not going to be in your way. Do not lay that on my feet. You go. You know, listen to God's calling. But I don't want to negate sometimes the mundane. Because God works through extraordinary, but God also works through the very everyday, normal day-to-day obedience that sometimes feel like a slog. And as small as it might seem to you, as normal, as non-world changing, it might look to your senses, it's all part of God's nobility because it's being done for his fame and for his glory. You know, even as we think today about Mother's Day, and I love the way that the church was talking about it earlier. I mean, Thing about being a mom, I mean, I'm not a mom, so I've just got to go by like secondhand uh, observation and, and telling. But most moms I talk to really struggle. It's hard, because it's like a constant battle with feeling like you are going uphill to try to accomplish something that's just not working. Sometimes you like you crying tears that no one else is going to cry as you think about your children. Sometimes you feel like a failure day after day after day. It's just really hard. And, and you, you almost feel like you can't talk about it out loud, especially in places like church, because, you know, oh, what is greater glory than to be a mother? And you're like, yo, this feels like my death. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm frustrated. I stink. It's, it feels, I mean, that's what it feels. I'm not saying, no, don't cut out that part and put it out for your social media. I, that's not what I'm saying. It's glory, but it feels like death. But I want you to know that God is using all that. I can't help but think about my own mom. Um, my mom, she, you know, she, they, they say about Korean mothers, one thing, that there's nothing like a Korean mother's prayer, because they just constantly praying for you, and she was like that as well, always praying for me. And especially in my time, and maybe i got to come back and talk like a Father's Day message. I'll share more of this other stuff. But part of my journey, I was very far away from God. I was angry, violent, raging, getting in fights all the time, very um, just destructive, got kicked out of school, got arrested, all that stuff. And, and, but I knew that even in the midst of all that, my mother was continually praying for me. And I didn't know this part just till a couple of years ago. One of my cousins told me, they said, do you know that even in the midst of all your craziness, that your mom told us he's going to be a pastor? I was like, "What?" She's like, "Yeah, she knew. She was praying." I was like, "No, you're making this up. That's like a great redemption arc, but yeah, no. She, she said he. I know it doesn't look like it right now, but he's going to be a pastor one day." There are no small acts of obedience when we are praying to God. Further your name through these things, through these prayers, through this kindness, through this generosity. Use it, Lord, for your fame. I pray, Lord. I, don't, I might not even see the full exp- expression of it. But, Lord, I trust that you're doing it. The Father gives meaning to our work. Because it glorifies God as we're in relationship with him. That relationship gives meaning to what we do. There is no small task. I love watching like I got here early so I love watching the people setting up worship here y'all if you just came in you get to see all of the like final product it's all beautiful and cool and man I love watching people setting up chairs putting down cards lining up pens making sure things are ready cuz God uses all of that there's meaning attached to all of that when we do it for the fame of God's name it's all glorious The Father gives meaning to our work. We also see that the Father fuels our obedience. The Father fuels our obedience. You might have noticed a repeated theme in this passage if you've read it before. It's found in a place like verse 15 where it says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And we find similar thoughts in places like verse 21, 23. This idea, which I think is is solid, that love equals obedience. Jesus is not about, like, a talky-talky kind of love. Like, I love you, but there's nothing reflected in actual response of action. Like, if you love me, you are going to do what I say. That, that's just love equals obedience. Um, and I want to I give a clarifying thought here. I do believe that an absolute lack of obedience can be a sign of no real relation with God. Because, what, here's what I mean. Sometimes I'll talk with folks. And they're like, oh, yeah, I know God. I'm a Christian. But then we, like, pour over their life a little bit, and there's, like, actually no real evidence that they are trying to follow the ways of God. And I don't mean, like, it's just a normal struggle, but kind of like they have no, there's no desire at all to have their life conform to what they feel the scriptures teach, what we should be doing as followers of Christ. And I just want to put out in a loving word, if you find yourself in a place where you say, yeah, you know, me and God, we're cool. We're tight. But you are, like, actively resisting, doing what you feel he's teaching you, humility would be asking, do I really know him or not? I mean, you can, we can play games and kind of say we know him, but do you really know him or not? So I say all that to assume that's not the case. So assuming that's not the case, maybe... You're kind of like me. Because honestly, verses like this, passages like this, used to paralyze me. Because I'd be going through life and I'll read it, and uh, if you love me, you're going to obey me. And I'll be like, dude, if I really loved God, why am I sinning so overtly like this? Why do I seem to have a, such a hard time with obedience? Why does my lust seem to take me to places where I, I, don't, I would be ashamed if people saw what's in my mind right now? Why am I not able to forgive those people as Jesus seems to be talking about turning the cheek? I harbor hate. I'm angry. Whether it's like overt, like physical actions and demonstrations of sin, But even more, maybe I can hide really well on the outside look really holy moly, Jesus freak, all that. But inside, I'm like, I I don't feel like I even believe in God sometimes. I'm really struggling here. And I think sometimes I would read verses like this and I would ask, am I of God? Do I have a relationship with him? Because if I did, why would I be struggling like this? Maybe some of you can identify with that. Maybe you feel, am I truly his or not? But if I can encourage you, the Christian life, especially understanding a relationship with the Father is, our obedience is fueled by God's presence with us. God's relational presence with us, committed to us, that's what fuels our obedience. And we see that throughout this chapter here. So that verse I read earlier, if you love me, in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands sound very black and white, but look at what follows in verse 16. And I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. What it's saying, yeah, you know, if you love him, you're going to obey. But here's how you're going to obey. I'm going to give you this counselor who's going to be with you forever. This is not just up to you to be a good Christian boy, good Christian girl. You are going to fight. You're going to struggle. Sometimes feels feel like you're not going to do it. But you know what? I'm not letting you go. I'm with you. Ride or die till the end. That's how you're going to do it. I'm with you. And I love that it's the spirit of truth in an age right now where things are so convoluted in terms of what's right and wrong, what's truth or false, when it's hard to know, when you hear so many different voices, that we have a spirit of truth who clarifies what it means to follow God and obey him, and that this counselor will walk with us even when it's hard, even when it's confusing. The other example there, verse 20, it says, on that day... You will know that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. And again, 21, it says, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And again, very clear. If you love him, you're going to obey. But you need to read that first part to know how do we obey? Because Jesus says, I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. It's all about relationship. It's about the relationship that Jesus has with his own Father that he now shares with us. This is how you will obey. This is how you will actively live out the love that I have for you and that you will have for me and do what I say to do because you know that I'm with you. His relationship dwelling with us allows us to live in obedience. Verse 23, Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Again, very clear. But See what follows. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. I love the implications that I don't know how many of you have maybe struggled with homelessness before, but this, this idea that to be homeless is to not have a dwelling place. But how amazing in the midst of that, that what Jesus is promising, when you walk with me, we will dwell with you. We will make a home with you. And this is how you will now obey and walk in obedience, rooted in love, because you know who walks with you and lives with you. All to say, it's not this idea sometimes that we can fall into the trap that I obey so that God will love me. Rather, it's because God loves me, now I can obey. I don't know about you, I fall into that first one all the time, right? I gotta keep up. Gotta do it so that God won't turn that smile into a frown. And gotta keep it, gotta keep on the hamster wheel. But rather, Because God loves me. And it takes this whole life, I think, to really unpack the depths and the riches of what it means that God loves you. But when we get a glimpse of how much God loves me, now I'm given the fuel to keep going and obeying. It's it's what the same author in 1 his letter writes in verse 19 of chapter 4. We love. Why? Because he first loved us. He's the initiator. He's the one that took action. And now we see the root source of how we can also love and obey. My uh, encouragement for all of you, simply keep fighting, guys. I don't know about you all, but I know I know for myself and a lot of people I walk with, sometimes you're just like, this is just too hard. Dude, sinning is much easier than obedience. I don't need a Bible to tell me how to sin. I got that down. But living for God, loving my neighbor, being generous, learning how to forgive, that's hard. Learning how to fight desires that are disastrous, that's crushing me. I can't do that. And man, maybe I don't belong to God. Maybe I'm not cut out for this. Maybe I'm not like these other holy moly people in church who seem to have it fully down. And the reality is we're all going through that. We just don't say it out loud. But I want to encourage you, keep fighting even as the struggle seems so real. But fight knowing that the Father loves you. Fight knowing that God loves you so much more than you can comprehend. This is a good Father. And I want to be careful because I know I run a risk of even saying Father, referring to God. and some places, that's controversial. I, I mean, it's biblical. But there is a... There are certain triggers that can be made there because for some of us here, maybe Father does not connote the closest feelings of, of um, like warmth, of care, of affirmation. Maybe it's actually the opposite. When, I, when someone says, Father, your, your, your memories go to a darker place. And you think about the one whose, whose bar was always too high and have always had a shaking head not very close emotionally. And, you know, I think there's room. We've got to be able to forgive and give grace because all of us are fallen, including parents. hard to imagine that, right? But even parents are fallen and struggle. But the reality is maybe when some of us, we hear father, we go to a place because of our earthly relationships or maybe even authority figures. But can you imagine something else with me if that's what does come to your mind? something so wonderful can you picture this father who looks at you and his head's not shaking disappointment but he's smiling as you are struggling and falling over like like me as a shattered earthly father the way I looked at my little daughter when she was learning to walk at one-year-old big old head and like bobbling around and you know can't can't balance like I'm not like yeah what's wrong with you man though you got two features like me I look how good I walk what's wrong with you you know, why can't you get this down? You know, crying and blubbering and like whining. Come on, suck it up. You can do it. I mean, y'all call social services on me if I do that. What do I? What do I I'm like, oh my goodness, you're walking. I, I, I remember when you were just crawling and now you're up on these two feet. I know it's so scary. I know it feels like you're gonna fall over. Oh, you fell over. It's okay. I got you. Get back up again. And as a broken vessel of a father, if that's my attitude, how much more this father in God is perfect and loving and looks at you with so much delight because of Jesus. Some of you, all if your brain goes to the first thought that he's shaking his head like this, you need to realize he's looking at you and he has got this big old smile because of Jesus. That's my boy. Look at my girl. Just so enamored with you. He wants the best for you, and he provides you the means to grow into that, and it's the gift of his own faithful presence. That's the Father that we have. And this is just a small picture of the abundant life that God desires you to have. So again, when Jesus says back in verse 14 again, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is pointing us to a relationship with the Father. He's not that border patrol trying to keep people out. He's like, come on in. Come on in. You can come too. Come on in. I'm the way. I'm the one that's going to show you the way. Come with me. And, and I want to be clear here just in case we get a false understanding of what I'm saying. I think we find here in other parts of Scripture there is an assumption that we can be separated from the Father. Like we shouldn't, because what we're not saying is, well, anyone is invited in. It doesn't matter, right? Jesus, He's the way and the truth and the life, so that means everyone's ticket's been paid. So come on. Um, I I don't think that's what the totality of Scripture teaches. There's actually a separation from the Father. We see that in some of the parables of Christ. Uh, We see that in the example of the Lord's Supper, the Communion. So there is a separating aspect of what it means to know God. And I think for all of us across the board, this can involve separation in the idea of moving on a path of trying to go and find our abundant life. Like every single one of us is on a road and we're going, but it's not towards God. And we would call that sin. And, and what repentance is, is the road that maybe you're going on, recognize it's not towards God and turning from that, turning to God and finding life in him. Because scripture seems to be very clear that life is found in God and death is apart from him. And that sounds really harsh, but the good news is there's life available. Because when we understand truly the heart of God, we recognize it's not his desire to keep people away from him. Rather, it's his love that fuels wanting everyone possible to have the means of a relationship with God, to an abundant life. So I think humility for all of us would be to have the Lord search us and ask what are some of those common bridges that maybe or common roads that you are going on? And Maybe you can think of them like bridges. Like you're trying to get to an abundant life, and you are on a certain way to try to get it. And maybe some of those bridges for us, maybe they look like personal enlightenment, just kind of becoming the best you through knowledge, wisdom. Maybe it's bridges like becoming a more compassionate humanitarian, or bridges like accomplishment, or wealth, or pleasure or relationships, whatever it might be. All of these bridges that's common to the human experience that we are crossing, that we are giving our life to, that we are sweating, moving, grinding, moving down that road, crossing over, trying to get to this place called an abundant life. And we are all working hard for it. The thing is, part of the also common human experience, and maybe some of you have done this in real life, is you go in on a road, and you're supposed to cross a bridge over a body of water maybe, and you go and have a halfway... And then Google Maps, they failed, and they forgot to tell you that this bridge is washed out. And the destination you're going to, you need to, like, backtrack, because it's not taking you to the place you thought it was. And maybe, honestly, maybe that's the reason some of you are even here today. Or you're in a place where you discover the Lord, because the path of life that you're going on, you hit that point when you realize it's not, prom- it's not delivering what it always promised it would. Actually, I'm more stressed out, I'm more anxious, I'm more sad. And maybe God is using that washed out bridge to invite you to cross the real bridge. Maybe the Father is inviting you to recognize some of those bridges that you're crossing even right now. And I want to be clear, they're not even bad in of themselves. Those are not bad things, but they're not the way to get to him. Because the bridge to the Father, the bridge to God, is a person, and his name is Jesus. The bridge is a person, and his name is Jesus. Here's the thing, though, and it makes for a real epic like Bible tract and stuff, you know, bridge, real great graphics and art and stuff. But the thing about a bridge is its purpose is to be walked over. The purpose of a bridge, the reason a bridge exists is to help people cross over, but you are gonna walk over a bridge. And the reality is any person, any leader who tries their best to help move people from one place to another, they are gonna have to act like a bridge and they will also bear the scars of having people walk over them. That's just some of the painful reality of leadership. And I would say even from my own experience, A lot of my passion is in the ministry of reconciliation. You know, I'm driven by this kind of Revelation 7, 9 idea of one day we are going to see just the beauty of every ethnicity, every tribe, tongue, nation, bowing down before the Lord together in worship. And we're not going to be like this colorblind thing. We're going to have full understanding of all of our differences. But what a glorious praise of God. I love that. That's what keeps me going. That drives me. But there's also a difficulty that comes with it. Because to be a minister of reconciliation, you gotta be like a bridge. And again, a bridge gets walked over. And even many um, black, indigenous, people of color, leaders who are involved in that work, I talk and minister and work with a lot of them who say, man, sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes it's really hard to be like a bridge, to be misunderstood, to be characterized a certain way, to be dismissed to be ghosted, to be called a heretic. Sometimes it's really hard, and I don't know if I can do it anymore. And maybe some of you even there. God has called you to be a bridge in some way, and it's just brutal because it's hard to be stepped on. If you struggle with that at all, can I invite you to lift your eyes and point your eyes to Jesus? Because in a similar way, Jesus was our bridge, but being the bridge himself, his bridge involved this torture device called a cross, it involved his torture, being mocked. He was king of kings, lord of lords. He created this whole John, And now these puny little humans are like mocking him and laughing at him, telling him, watch you save yourself. Doing all of this horrific stuff when he could have called the angels down at any moment. Just wiped them all out. But he knew it was part of his plan to be that bridge, to hang on that cross, to be whipped, to be speared that crown of thorns placed on him, to be laughed at, to be ghosted, to have even his closest followers, except for mainly a few courageous women, all leave, yo, we're going to be there with you till the end, and none of them ride or die. It caused Jesus a whole lot to be a bridge. And we know, obviously, we're on the other side, we know that he conquered sin, death, and the grave, and he rose, and, and he, we celebrate that. But guys, I think it's appropriate to also recognize the cost involved for our loving Savior to be that bridge for us. Why? Why would he do that? Because the Father desired none to perish, but experience life. You know who that also includes? Includes all of you here. So I just, can I ask you to stand with me as our music team is gonna come up and other, we're gonna respond in different ways before we do that, can I ask you to just bow your head for a moment and if you are in your life, maybe you would say, yeah, I, I, I think I am a Christian. I think I do follow him. But can I ask you, what have you been searching? Which roads have you been walking down for your abundant life? Because just because we're a Christian doesn't mean we're still not tempted by these different paths to an abundant life. Can I ask you, not in a harsh way, but in a, a way of freedom, lay that down before the feet of God. Could you even be reminded again today, ah, I needed that reminder. That's not the path to my abundant life, but it's found in Jesus. And I can, instead of being ruled by those things, I can rule over them. If that's you, can I ask you to do that? Just for a moment right now, whatever it looks like. Maybe for some of you, you're a Christian, and it's just been really hard. You've been wrestling, fighting. Sometimes sin seems inconceivable in its ability to knock you over, and you're thinking, there's no way I'm going to make it to tomorrow. It'd be better if I just gave it all up. Can I ask you to know who right now, the one who's fighting for you, the one who's not shaking his head in disappointment, but he's saying, get up, my son. Get up, my daughter. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm fighting for you. And keep fighting, guys. And if you're not a Christian, and again, maybe it's just... uh, just an honest assessment, saying say, maybe I'm not a Christian. To say, but if this guy is speaking any sense of truth, that sounds like a good life to know this Jesus who would give his life for me, provide me with an abundant life. And, and what I would invite you to do, it's not a whole bunch of hoops you got to jump through. It's simply saying, I am going down the wrong road, but I need to change. Thank you that Jesus is my bridge. I want to cross him. Let me pray for us. Whatever it is for you, take a silent moment. Whatever it is for you, just lift that up to the Lord and let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this room of men and women who are seeking you in different ways and we're on different places on that road. Thank you, Lord, that you look at us and you just love us so much more than we can comprehend. And you want us to continue to move along but you want us to also be on that right bridge, that right path, and his name is Jesus. So help us to lift our eyes to our great hope, even when it's hard, but to know that our hope is found in following the path of Jesus. So Thank you, Holy Spirit. Continue to speak in this place, and in Christ's name we pray, amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcasts. To find other messages or get more information about Redemption City Church, visit us online at rccbaltimore.org. Thank you for listening to the Redemption City Church podcast.